0: If you have your Bibles this morning, please open them up to Genesis chapter 48 and follow along as we are going to study this morning the entire chapter of Genesis 48. This is an amazing chapter that will have impact throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Understanding this chapter will help us understand many of the things that follow on. But as we think about, before we think about this text and study it, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we wait for you. Our souls wait for you, O Lord. And in your word do we hope more than those who Hope for the morning, long for the morning, watch for the morning. Our souls watch for you, long for you, and we hope in your word. Help us this morning that we may receive your word as your word, for in it we find the wonderful words of life. Grant us this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In 1892, a young woman was born, and she would grow and live until 1983, which, if you're doing the math, that's 91 years. In 1892, soon after, not long after she was born, her, in those early years, her mother would pass away, and so it would just be her, her father, her sister, and her brother living in Holland. And there in Holland, her, her father was a, a watchmaker. And while her brother would marry and move out of the house, her and her sister stayed on. And, and she became, she, she took on the family business, followed in her footstep her father's footsteps, learned watchmaking, and she became the the first licensed. Watchmaker, female watchmaker in all of Holland. A significant person, a significant role. But it wasn't until she was 48 years old and Germany invades Holland that her story begins to take on international glory nowadays, international fame. She and her father and her sister built on her room, built within her room, a, an additional room, a secret room, so that those Jews who were seeking asylum, seeking escape from the, the dangers of Nazi rule, had a place to hide and then go on as they would pass onto a, along a route, pass on to places of safety. And they would enter into Her room, which they would call their hiding place. She was arrested. Her entire family was informed on by a Nazi collaborator, informant. They were arrested while there were still six Jews hiding in that room. Those Jews went undetected. And she, while she and her sister and her father were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp, she received word during that time period, all of the watches in your cabinet are safe, which she understood to be code that all of those that had been in her home had escaped after they had been taken. All in all, somewhere between 700 and 800 Jews had moved through this home to safety. Of course, this person we know to be Corey Tenboom. And she describes in her book, The Hiding Place, which she wrote in 1970. She describes her, not only her early life and her experiences, but we see her faith in God, her, her value, which to put her own life and that of her families in, in danger. Their value, to value the Lord, to value Christ, to value others more than themselves, was incredibly countercultural. She would declare never be afraid to entrust an unknown future to a known God. An unknown future, never be afraid to entrust an unknown future to a known God. Friends, you and I are in danger every day of failing to entrust our unknown future to a known God. And our text this morning lays out for us what it looks like to entrust the future which we cannot possibly know but to live in light of that future, knowing that it is in the hands of one who is far more capable than we are. One who is not only far more capable, but far more faithful. One who cannot fail to uphold that which he has declared. This text is a very ordinary text. We find no no miraculous event no extraordinary um, event happening in these, in these verses. Nothing supernatural. But all of it massively important. Read with me, beginning in verses 1 and 2. This, the, these two verses kind of set up what's happening. We know that Jacob is at the end of his life. And we see things are, they are arriving very quickly towards the end. Verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. Now we don't know who this person is, but clearly it's a messenger sent from Jacob to his son Joseph to let him know, hey, things are failing quickly. You need to get here. Joseph took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel, this is Jacob, Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. One last time, Joseph is coming to see his dad. And he brings with him his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh being the eldest, Ephraim being the younger of the two sons. And he comes to see his father and, and Jacob hearing that they, or that, rather, we're just told that Jacob is told that, that Joseph has arrived. He's not really informed of the presence of his two sons. But even on arrival of Joseph, Jacob is so sick and weak by this point that we read that he, he strengthened himself. The picture is of an old frail ma- man on his bed who to simply sit up and greet his son is summoning all of his strength. Joseph is here to speak with his father one last time, but Jacob has something massive to convey. We see what that is in verses 3 to 12. There, Jacob is going to, in effect, adopt Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Follow along. Then Jacob said to Joseph, "God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. That's that's Bethel. He appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a multitude of people and give you this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, these two sons, they are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, they shall be yours. So whatever sons and daughters, they'll be yours. These two sons in name, they are mine. They belong to me. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. You'll remember she passed away on the return trip as they were about to go see his father Isaac. Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said to them, And said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring so joseph brought them from beside his knees that is from either side of him and he bowed down with his face to the earth what we have here is the beginnings of this adoption ceremony so to speak and this is a this this plays an important and what's ha- important part in what we see happening in Israel's future and in the rest of the bible In verse 5, Jacob announces he's going to adopt Joseph's two sons. And this is an extraordinary honor. He's not saying, Joseph, you are a terrible dad. I'm adopting your kids. That's not what's happening here. What he is saying is the blessing that is going to fall on my 12 sons, I am including your sons in their number. He is raising Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to the level of his own sons so that they will have a share of the inheritance that he himself will give. And this is, an also, this is also an honor for Joseph because if he's raising Joseph's sons, he is in his essence raising Joseph almost to a level of himself. Jacob is securing for Joseph a greater share in the blessing that God has promised, which is to come. You'll remember that as the land is, the land of Canaan, when Israel returns, Levi is not given, the tribe of Levi is not given a, an inheritance there. That is because that tribe is devoted to the ministry of the tabernacle and later the temple. But it is... Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who they receive a a double share. So while the rest of the sons equally will receive one-twelfth of an inheritance, Joseph, in effect, receives one-sixth of an inheritance, twice as much of an inheritance as the rest of his brothers. He is giving Joseph an extraordinary blessing here and he says, he's, as, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. So not only is he adopting them and saying, okay, they're going to have a share as the rest of my sons, but now they're going to have a greater share than the rest of your brothers. He is Reuben and Simeon. These are the first two, uh, first two born sons of Jacob. And what he is saying, in effect, is that Manasseh and Ephraim, they are being raised to the level of that firstborn son, they will receive the honors and the blessings and the inheritance that normally would have been reserved only for the firstborn. The firstborn gets the best. The firstborn gets the most. The firstborn is given greater prestige and honor and wealth. Whatever is inherited, it is primarily through the firstborn. And Joseph's sons receive that. As Reuben and Simeon. They are themselves overtaking Reuben and Simeon. Why is that? Reuben and Simeon, you may remember, both extraordinarily guilty, both guilty of extraordinary scandalous sins. Reuben, chapters earlier, we are told he sleeps with his stepmom. What we believe. Most likely to be an attempt to solidify power within the family. And while Jacob doesn't take immediate action, he remembers it. Simeon, along with Levi, they are the ones who went into Shechem and murdered and slaughtered all the inhabitants so Joseph's two sons are given priority even over the first two born, firstborn sons of, J- of Jacob. And then we see the ceremony beginning in verses 8 to 12. He, he asks this question, that is, Jacob asks Joseph the question, who are these? And it may be that he doesn't know that they're present, that his two sons are present. We, we read in the verses to come that he is almost blind, he's not quite able to see. His eyes are dim with age. So he asked the question, who are these? And so it may just simply be, he doesn't, they're shadowy, they're too distant. He can't make them out. And this is very similar to Isaac who was blind and couldn't tell that it was Jacob and not Esau who was receiving the blessing. So perhaps he's just trying to make very sure that the deception that he pulled on his dad isn't being pulled on him. But there seems to be something else that is a possibility. And it's, he's, he's asking not because he doesn't know, but he's asking because this is perhaps a part of the ceremony. Picture a wedding ceremony. People are walking down the aisle during the, you know, at the beginning of the ceremony, you've got the, 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 the grooms, the, 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 not the grooms, but the, uh, the groomsmen, the, 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 the uh, bridesmaids, all of them coming down in all of their glory. Everyone's standing up at the front, and then the the bride is escorted down with her father. And then the pastor asks, who gives this woman away to be a wife? Who gives this woman away to be in marriage? It's not because the pastor doesn't know. That, That question's a part of the ceremony. And so in asking, who are these sons? Who are these boys? That's a part of the ceremony. And so Joseph answers, these are my sons whom God has given me. And Jacob embraces them. He kisses them and embraces them. The idea is that he is holding them dear. It would be one thing if if, if the order was reversed. He embraced them and then kissed them. Quick hug, kiss on either cheek as was expected, but no, he kisses on either cheek, and then the picture is he's holding them. Those of you with grandkids probably know that feeling. And part of why he's enjoying this moment, not just because he knows it's going to be one of his last, but we read in verse 11, he's, he's just amazed that he gets to do this. I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. I get to be with my grandkids. I didn't even know I would see you again. And I get to be with my grandkids. This is amazing. He's he's savoring it. And then he begins to bless. And we see this beginning in verse 13. Not only does he adopt them as his own, he begins to give them a, a blessing. And Joseph took them both Ephraim with his right hand and he put him toward Israel's left hand that's Jacob's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him all right when I was in Sunday school the picture was these were two little guys two two boys in in actuality these are most likely these are men who are in their 20s remember they were born to Jacob I'm sorry, born to Joseph before his father ever got down into the land of Egypt, which was 17 years prior. Jacob has been in the land for 17 years. And there were a few years that had elapsed, a number of years that had elapsed, before he even got down there. So these are men who are in their 20s. Ephraim is at the left hand. Manasseh at the right hand. I realize this is my left and my right, but your right. You got it. You got it. Manasseh at the right hand. This is this is the hand that was the hand of honor, the place of honor to be at the right hand. The hand that would designate the greater blessing, the greater inheritance, the greater dignity. Then we read in verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and he laid it on Ephraim, Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Joseph thinks his dad is, you know, he's losing it. Dad, let let me help you out here. I realize it may have been confusing. Let Let me put it on the right person's head. Let's get this right. Verse 19. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. You can just hear a father saying that. I, I know, I know, I know what I'm doing. I've not lost all of my marbles yet. Stay with me. I know, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a, pe- become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude Of nations. Jacob isn't, Jacob knows he's not conveying a blessing here. Jacob isn't affecting change in the future. He knows that he doesn't have the the supernatural power within himself to say, okay, I like Ephraim more than Manasseh, therefore I'm going to bless Ephraim over Manasseh. That's not what's happening. Jacob is acting as a prophet in this way. He sees what God is already going to do and he is acting in accordance with it. He knows Ephraim will be the greater son. And this is why in later chapters, despite the fact that Manasseh is the older brother, it is always Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh. Not Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob, though blind, sees more clearly... Than Joseph. And he sees what God is going to do. And then in verse 21 to 22, Jacob gives this final blessing to Joseph. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. That is a prophetic statement. I know I'm dying. God will be with you and he will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. We do not know exactly what is being referenced there. We do not have the record of that event where Jacob is forcibly taken what is sometimes translated in some translations as as a mountain slope or a portion of land. Clearly, he took something by force. And he is passing that land on to Joseph. This leaves us with a number of observations that we can see in the text. The first is that this passage does indeed help us put the Bible together. Twelve sons Jacob has. And these twelve sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. But Ephraim and Manasseh, they will grow and they will increase. They are given a a far greater inheritance in the land than the rest of their brothers. And when the people of Israel divide into two kingdoms, northern Israel and southern what we call Judah, ten tribes go north, two tribes stay south. And that northern tribe is often, those northern tribes are often summarized with saying Ephraim and Manasseh because they have become by that point so numerous that they dominated the landscape, both in power and in prestige. And though, despite Judah, will be given special privileges, that the, that, the, that the king will come through Judah. It does appear that over time the line of Joseph and the line of Judah are at odds with one another. Ephraim and Manasseh are the greatest, they're the largest, they're the most powerful, the most numerous. And it is clear from First Chron- Chronicles five that Ephraim and Manasseh do indeed replace Reuben as the firstborn son. All of this helps us understand some of the tensions that are going to come up later throughout the Bible. But the focus of this passage is on blessing. Despite the fact that the word blessing is only used four or five times in the entire chapter, the act of blessing dominates it. God, Jacob recounts, blessed him. And now he is going to bless Joseph and Joseph's sons. And it raises the question for us, what is blessing? What does it mean to be blessed? We often think of blessing and being blessed as, as those things which are going to help us be comfortable and happy. A nice home, good relationships, nice things, a nice car, good job, good, good family around us. We feel blessed. I have what I want, I have what I need. I'm blessed. It's used through social media. Look at this beautiful day. Look at where I'm at. Hashtag blessed. We confuse being blessed with feeling happy, with having those things that give us comfort or joy, but that is not the kind of blessing that Jacob is talking about. That is not the kind of blessing that we are to pursue and prize above everything else. That is the extent of the blessing that can be enjoyed by by those who are in the world, by those who do not know Christ. That's it. That's all they've got. A beautiful day at the beach, that's the end of their blessing. What you and I have, if we are trusting in Christ, is far greater. Let's not settle for this. Oh, that's good. That's wonderful. But there is something better. You see this with Jacob. Jacob who declares himself already blessed. Verse 3, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Think about Jacob's life. Think about how agonizing it was, how difficult and traumatic it was. God blessed him. He was Blessed whether he felt like it or not, and and now he is living in exile. Before, he was living as a wanderer, a stranger, an immigrant in the land of Canaan. No place to call his home. The only place his family owned was a burial plot. Now he's living in exile in Egypt. He is given to eat whatever Joseph provides. Living in the land that he, that Pharaoh has simply allotted to them, he doesn't have a lot, but he is blessed. He may not have much in this world, but friends, he has much in the next. Jacob declares himself to be blessed already because to be blessed is to have the favor of God. Is to have he who is infinite and supreme and transcendent to have his favor upon you. That is what it means to be truly blessed. And though Jacob has not tasted of that blessing he knows himself to be blessed because he trusts in the steadfast word of God. God told him decades before, I will bless you. And Jacob lived in light of that. Didn't always live well. But he knew himself to be blessed. Because God Almighty declared it and that settled it for Jacob. Yet, no matter how he felt, Jacob knew he was truly blessed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is by this same faith that we know ourselves to be blessed in Christ, to receive his promises, to have God's own favor. Jacob had nothing better than a distant and fading memory of what God had told him at a certain time. But he was leaning everything, resting everything. He had put all of his chips, so to speak, on that one moment, on that promise. And he does it. By faith in God. And by faith, we too believe. Not on some distant memory, not based on some distant memory, but based on the living Word of God. For by it, we, we know not only of God, for by it, we know of His own Son, whom He has given to secure us. By faith, we long to taste of that which we have not yet seen. We long to see what we cannot yet even begin to imagine. And we are assured of all of God's promises, though you and I now live as exiles in this land. We do not yet have what God has already blessed us with. But Ephesians 1 tells us, in Christ we have received every spiritual blessing. So live in light of that day. Some of you have babies, young children, who are in diapers. I remember the day when Melissa and I I think it was, I don't know which one of us, it was probably Melissa, who changed the last diaper. We had a mini celebration in our home when we were done with diapers. Didn't mean we were done cleaning up accidents, but we were done with diapers. You are changing, some of you are now, day after day, hour after hour, changing diapers. And you hope sometime before they're 20, that they'll be done with changing diapers. But you do that in hope. You live in light of that day. Friends, live in light of what we already have in Christ. The blessings that we are already assured of. More than this, it's not just Jacob that we see it's Joseph. Put yourself in Joseph's Air Jordan sandals for a moment. Joseph has everything. He is second only to Pharaoh. There is nothing more that he could want wealth, power, influence adoration? I mean, if Joseph had a Facebook or an Instagram page, everyone in Egypt would follow him. He was the man. we, We read earlier they called him the Savior, the people of Egypt. You have saved us. They loved him. But when Jacob calls and says, hey, come over, and when Jacob begins to Blessed, I have a blessing to give you. Joseph doesn't say, Dad, come on, really? What do you have that I'm not already giving to you? What could you possibly give me? I have generational wealth. I have a generational legacy. My kids are going to have position and education and authority in Egypt for a long time. We are set up. You don't own anything. And you're going to give me... Blessing in a part of land that none of us even own anything in? Come on, Dad. Joseph's response here is he receives it with gladness. He bows, he thanks, he is grateful, he is worshiping the Lord. He views this as an honor. Think about how easily you and I are led astray. By the simplest pleasures in the world. We taste one drop of pleasure, of synthetic pleasure from this world, and we are immediately turned away. We begin to pursue other things. Give me a car, a nicer car, give me a nicer TV, I want a nicer home, I want a better job, I want a bigger paycheck, I want more influence. I want a relationship. I want more stuff. Decades ago, as companies were going down into South America, they were trying to cultivate a labor force in uh, some of the most impoverished parts of the world at that time. They were offering steady work and steady pay to people who had known neither of these things. And what they found was happening was that people would come to the company, they would work, and as soon as they were paid, they would never see them again. And they couldn't figure out what was happening. Why weren't these people who were receiving money that they had never before received before, why were they just taking it and walking and never coming back to work? what they found is that these people were receiving something, they were receiving more money for a few weeks' work than they had ever seen in their lives, and their parents had ever seen in their lives. So they were taking it. What do I ever need to work again? What would seem to be nothing for us was an extraordinary amount for them. So they would work, receive their paycheck, cash it, and never be seen again. Do You know how the companies began to solve that problem? They began to give them, at the time, Sears catalogs. They began to show them the things that they could buy. Now I realize, for those of you who are younger, don't even know what a Sears catalog is. You don't even know what Sears is. It's okay. Sears catalog was this massive book that... Showed you all the stuff you could buy. And I I mean massive. It it was... I was going to say it's like a phone book, but even that doesn't make sense anymore. So for the first time, people realized, this is what I could buy with this. And all of a sudden, workers began to come back week after week after week. We get simple taste of simple pleasures. How easily we are satisfied with little things. And Joseph, despite the fact that he has everything. 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 When his father tells him that he is granting to him promises and a blessings, Of a land that doesn't belong to his dad, of a seed and descendants that are gonna be numerous, and blessings from God Himself. Rather than scorning it, Joseph receives it by faith. Brothers and sisters, Joseph treasured more the unseen blessings that God promised than all the blessings that the world provided. He saw that the invisible blessings and promises of God were far more of far more value than all the visible blessings that this world offered. There is nothing, friend, that this world offers that is better in any way than what we will find in God. Whatever sense of achievement or purpose or satisfaction you are desiring or seeking, nothing in this world can satisfy. We were not made for this world. It will thrill for a moment. The things of this world will thrill you for a moment, I do not deny. But that thrill will end with scars and suffering. What God offers in Christ Jesus, that is eternal. It is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, far better Look to that blessing, look to those rewards. There's one other thing that I, I want us to notice before we close. And that is in the, the surprising, the incredible freedom of God. Joseph, i was rather, Jacob foregrounds the freedom of God in all of this. You look at verses three and four. When, jo- when Jacob recounts the blessing, He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. What did you do, Jacob? Nothing. And when God blesses him, he doesn't say, okay, you're going to do this, and then I'll do this. This isn't us working together. It's no, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a multitude of people and give you this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Here is the, the freedom of God, and it is gracious, God appeared. God blessed. God spoke to them these promises. We see this again in verses 15 and 16. Jacob is recounting his forefathers and how God blessed them. And he says, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. So Abraham and Isaac, they walked with God. The God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Wait, wait, wait. So Abraham and Isaac, they walked with God. What did you do, Jacob? Oh, nothing. God had to carry me. Abraham and Isaac, my, my fathers, they, they were far better. They walked with God. I, I rebelled against him. But God fed me all the day, every day. God has blessed me. God has done this. Jacob contributes nothing. He deserves nothing. He is simply receiving what has been graciously promised to him, what God has freely promised to him. And then from verses 14 all the way to 19, we, we count that it is God who works all things. It, it is God who freely chooses the younger son over the older This isn't the first time in Genesis we have seen this. Abel is chosen. Abel, the youngest son to Adam and Eve, is chosen over Cain. It is Jacob who is chosen over Esau, Isaac who is chosen over Ishmael. You know, it was social convention, strongly so, that the eldest son received the bulk of the blessing, that he be the one to receive the inheritance. That was so strong in the ancient world that to go against it was, it was more than countercultural. It felt wrong. In fact, look with me at Joseph in verse 17. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him could almost translate that saying it felt evil to him it felt wrong it felt sinful for Jacob to do what he's doing it appeared to Joseph to be an to, to be an evil thing but God is free to bless whomever he would bless he is free to show mercy to whomever he would show mercy The Lord is free to show grace and mercy to whomever He desires. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We do not merit it. We do not work for it. There is nothing about any of us that God looks on us and says, Ah, you. I'm going to have mercy on you. God does it because He is gracious. He does it because He is Free. Are you tracking with me? Do you see what's so amazing in this text? The blessings and the promises freely given by God are more sure than the shoes on your feet. They are more certain than the food you will eat later today. And despite the fact that you may not have them and despite the fact that you might have them, is of little consequence. God has testified to his own promises and his own word, and he will not fail to carry it out. And though we may lose all things in this life, yet we cannot lose one one promise of all that God has made. Oh, how much we fail to keep these eternal blessings in sight. How quick we are to forget them. Friend, live in light of these promises God has granted you through faith in Christ Jesus. They are more valuable than all the oil in the Middle East. And all the gold in Fort Knox. Joseph has it all, but he bows his head in gladness and receives what God has promised, knowing that it is better. What are you pursuing now? What are you clinging to? What are you treasuring? If then, Paul writes in Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, so that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory, or as Christ will tell us in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Those are the very same questions that all of us were asking this morning. Maybe you went to your closet. What am I going to wear? Maybe your kids were asking you, Mom, Dad, what's to eat this morning? Do not be anxious about these things. For the Gentiles, those in the world, they seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows you need of them. You need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, they will be added unto you. God alone is free to bless and make promises to whomever he wills. And those to whom God has freely shown grace and given promises, he will not revoke them. Those promises are insanely valuable. So be humbled, be glad, worship, give thanks. Turn back. Turn back from chasing after the things in this world. Turn and cling to the promises in Christ. Cling. To our Savior who has died and risen again securing all those promises for us let's pray Father in heaven we are stunned that you our Lord would make promises to us would rescue us, would show grace to us there is no reason we can give for it. And we know, O oh Lord, that we do not deserve it. Would you help us to live in light of those promises? To live in light of what we have in Christ more than what we do not have in this world. And to live in light of the infinite value of those promises more than what we value in this world. Help us by your spirit, O God, to set our hearts on things above where Christ is. It is in our Savior's name, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen.